Well, good morning, New City Edgerton. Ah, you're, you're, you're awake. I'm glad you're awake. I'm glad you're alive. How can you not be when we're in the presence of the Lord singing His praises, right? Amen? It is good to be with you today. Um, Pete, thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, my name is Matt Lee. Uh, not to... What did I do? Did I already break something? Okay, okay. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Uh, my name's Matt Lee. That's not to be confused with Matt Miller, Pastor Matt over at Shawnee. Uh, so uh, unless I say something that's too offensive, then email Matt instead of me, okay? Um, it's great to be with you today. I'm on the teaching team at New City, uh, and this is my first time to come over and share with you guys. Uh, but we, my wife Jill and I were actually here um, on your launch Sunday, and we've been here one other time. So it's just great to be with you today. Jill, will you wave at everybody? I want everybody to know from the start that I did not get in a fight with my wife and box her, okay? Uh, She has had some dental procedures this week, so pray for her. She's so faithful to come out and support. She's just showing me her love today, so thank you for that. She should probably be at home, but she's she's powering through the pain just just to be with me today. Uh, So I feel so loved this morning by my wife. Thank you, Jill. Um, It's great to be here today. Uh, we really feel like we're a part of New City Edgerton, being part of the Shawnee campus. That is our home church. Uh, I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Thessalonians, and he says, I don't even have to share with other people about you because they've already heard about how God has changed your life and how God has helped you turn away from idols to serve the living and true God. And that's kind of what it feels like when I think about you guys out here at Edgerton, uh, in fact, uh, I recently I've run into a lot of people from this area, from Edgerton, Gardner, and usually when I do, I like to take the opportunity and say, hey, have you heard of New City Edgerton? I want to tell you about a, a, a great church out there. And what's great is most people have said, yeah, well, I've heard about, I've wondered about, I've seen something's happening there. Uh, so they already know about you. Uh, and that excites me because I get to tell them, well, that's my church right? Even though you guys haven't seen me before, because we are all part of New City, and just so excited uh, to be part of that with you guys. Well, Pete already said, I want to talk to you about restoration today. Uh, I believe out on the sign today, it says restore, so I want to talk to you about restoration today. Um, I have a niece. How many of you know Curtis Biswell? I think Curtis has been out here and, and led worship a few times. Curtis is my brother-in-law, so his wife, Valerie, is my sister, and I love my little nieces. We've got two little nieces. We don't have any children of our own yet, and I love my little nieces. Many of you might have met Lorelai. She's Curtis and Valerie's oldest. Lorelai's middle name is Joy. Lorelai Joy. And a couple of Christmases ago, Lorelai lived up to her middle name as she just expressed joy in opening her gifts. In fact, every single gift that she opened, she would open that gift with a look of pure joy on her face. She would say, this is the greatest Christmas present ever. It was something just thrilling about the joy that Lorelai had. Now, I want to make this connection that... um, A child's joy is so wonderful to behold because it is filled with innocence. Joy 
is possible when innocence is present. Joy is possible when innocence is present. And conversely, the loss of innocence makes joy difficult. Now, somebody has defined innocence as a freedom from guilt or sin through being unacquainted with evil. Unacquainted with evil. When I read that definition, that last phrase, unacquainted with evil, really stuck with me. And I began to think, you know, there are at least three ways that you and I can become acquainted with evil. The first way is we can become a victim of evil. Now, I'll be honest with you, there were a couple of reasons why I wanted to stay away from the victim language. The first is we live in a society that really likes to play the victim, right? We like to blame other people for our problems or blame society for our problems. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not into that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as this, this passage unfolds. But the second reason I really didn't want to talk about being a victim of evil and really actually the heavier reason is that I recognize that there are those, statistically at least, sitting in this room who have had love and trust violated by the people you were supposed to be able to love and trust the most. There are some in here that have become acquainted with evil simply because you have had some things happen to you or some things that have happened because of evil in the world and you become the victim of evil. The second way we can become acquainted with evil, a little bit different than becoming a victim of evil perhaps, but it is, it is we become very familiar with evil. It just becomes familiar to us. And rather than compare uh, how life should be to the holy God and kingdom come, we began to compare to that which we've become familiar with in our world. I spent a year and a half going behind the prison walls in Lansing, Kansas. And I did some substance abuse education there. And, and I remember I, I used to read the, the files before I would meet with some of the guys. And I quit reading those files because the reality is, as I read about some of the things that had happened and some of the things that those guys had done, I was becoming so familiar with evil that I found my heart growing hard and I found myself not wanting to look somebody in the face. I found myself wanting to return evil for evil. I found myself becoming very, very familiar with evil, and it was difficult to have joy in that. Why? Because joy is possible when innocence is present. The final way that we become acquainted with evil, and, and this really hits all of us here to some degree or another, we become acquainted with evil when we become a participant of evil. Now, I know I'm a visitor here. Actually, I'm a member of the church, right? We're all New City family. So I, I don't want to come pointing fingers at you, so I hope that you can see the, the heart of love that's flowing out. But the reality is, all of us here have become an acquainted with evil by being a participant in evil, meaning that we have all done things that we know in our heart and mind to be wrong. So today, as we talk about restoration, what we're talking about how can be, we be restored to that joy where when we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the ground, where we can say, this is the greatest day ever because the Father has given me new life and my conscience is clear before God. In order to, to do that, we're going to look together at Psalm chapter 51. And this is a Psalm of David. And we're going to pick up here uh, in, in verse 10. 
David uh, is pleading with God to restore something he's lost. See, David in this psalm, and we'll talk about the context, he's become acquainted with evil. So let's pick up here with verse 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy, there it is, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. I would encourage you, leave your Bibles open to Psalm 51, because I'm going to be referring to that, that whole psalm. Now, the context here is 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. How many of you have ever heard the story of David and Bathsheba? Okay, many of us here. Well, David was king of Israel. In fact, the Bible tells us that David is described as a man after God's own heart. So he's kind of this model for us if we want to live how God wants us to live. But what yet we find in 2 Samuel here, verses 10, or chapters 10 and 11, we find that something had gone wrong in David's life. His armies had gone off to fight the enemy. David had decided to stay at home. David was up on his balcony one day, and he was looking across uh, the housetops there, and he saw a beautiful woman that he decided he wanted for his own. So, what happened next is what often happens in our society. It's amazing. Society hasn't changed much over the last several thousand years, has it? Right? David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was looking at something that wasn't his, and he decided, I'm going to take this for my own. And so he had, he committed adultery. He had sex with Bathsheba, which was somebody else's wife. And then to cover up what he had done, he had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, put in the front lines of the battle so that he would be killed. That's, that's pretty, quote-unquote, smooth, right? Nobody would find out. So David not only committed adultery, David also committed murder. And he tried to hide it for a while, and then the prophet of God came and said, hey, you're guilty here. And because David was a man after God's own heart, David began to, to repent and began to seek God's restoration. And that's where this psalm comes from. He was seeking God's restoration. Without getting too far into the details of the backstory, I want to point out to you from this psalm some things that David acknowledged he had lost. He said that he had lost his joy. Verse 10, he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He had lost his joy. He had lost his witness. He said in verse 13, he asked God to restore him so that sinners could be converted because of his testimony. He wanted his witness back, which was really part of his covenant identity as king of Israel. God blessed them so that through him, others could be blessed. And it's the same thing here. Guys, when we have lost our innocence, not only do we lose our joy, but we often lose our witness in that we want to be able to testify of the greatness of God, but we know that we can't because there's just something between us and God. He lost his joy. He lost his witness. In verse 14 and 50, he's praying, God, give me the song of praise back. Give me the song of praise back. 
By the way, the birds chirping, that was, that was perfectly on cue, the song of praise. That was perfect. David saying, I want that song of praise on my lips and in my heart. And you know, I know that we're all wired differently. I know we all have different personalities. I tend to get a little more excited than some people. But I wonder sometimes if the reason why we sit in church and aren't able to praise God, I wonder sometimes, is that because we've lost our innocence? And we need to know God's restoration in our hearts. So David had lost his joy, he lost his witness, he lost his praise. So can I ask you today, guys, how's, how's your joy? How's your witness? How's your song of praise? It leads me to a, a really important question. Really, the, the por- question of the day is, how can we be restored if we have lost our joy, if we've lost our witness, if we lost our song of praise, if we become acquainted with e- e- evil, how can we be restored? Well, this song or this psalm of David gives us a model of restoration. The first thing that we see here in Psalm 51 is restoration happens as we take responsibility for our sinful actions. As we take responsibility for our sinful actions. You'll notice here, David admitted he was personally responsible for his actions. There wasn't blaming somebody else. He very easily could have said, well, God, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been up on her housetop, if she weren't dressed how she wasn't supposed to be dressed, this wouldn't have happened. That's not what he said. Guys, you know we do that. Come on now. He took responsibility for his actions. Look at verses 1 through 3. I'm going to emphasize a word or some, some pronouns here. Have mercy upon me, O God according to your loving kindness, according to your multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. He's taking personal responsibility for his sinful actions. But he doesn't stop there. He recognizes the seriousness of his sin with the words that he uses. He says, wash me from my iniquity. Everybody say iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Everybody say sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. Everybody say transgression. And my sin is always before me. Notice David uses three different words here. He uses this word transgression. It means, God, I disobeyed you. I did what I knew was wrong. This word iniquity, which is saying, God, I'm recognizing something is twisted and messed up inside of me. This word sin, which means I missed what God wanted for me. I missed the mark. David acknowledged the seriousness of his sin with the words he uses and also with what he acknowledges. Verse 4, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you, God, may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. This is really significant, I believe, because if we know the backstory of David and his sin, David sinned against the entire nation of Israel. And if you read on in 2 Samuel, you'll learn even though David found forgiveness and restoration, there was still some reaping of what he had sown. David sinned against the entire nation of Israel. David sinned against Bathsheba. David definitely sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And you kind of wonder, 
what happened to, to, to Uriah's family, right? David sinned against a lot of people, but David is saying, God, it's against you and you only that I've sinned. And the reason I'm acknowledging that, God, is, is whatever punishment that you have coming down for me, you are just God. You are holy God. It's against you I've sinned. Can I tell you something that I'm really concerned with in our culture? I'm really concerned that somehow we believe that God is obligated, just obligated, to forgive us and cleanse us from our sin. Now, I understand, okay, and I don't want to get into theological parsing of hairs, but I understand that God wants to forgive us. He's done that through Jesus, and we're going to talk about that. But so many times, we just act like sin isn't serious. We act like it's not an affront to God. We act like it's not against Him. We dismiss it by saying, I recently, got, recently, a, a family I know, a, a, a woman stepped out on her husband, said something, yeah, admitted it on a Facebook, and every single message was, hey, keep your head up. God forgives, God forgives, God. God does forgive. But we're so, we're just, are you, are you following what I'm saying? And somehow we put ourselves in the judges there and say, boom, God, I sinned, but you have to forgive me. David's not doing that. God, David is saying, God, I sinned. You're the judge here. You're, you're righteous, whatever you decide, God. So David acknowledged the seriousness of his sin with the words he used and with, with what he acknowledges. If we want to have the joy of salvation restored, if we want to teach others about God, if we want to be able to sing a song of praise, then we need to recognize the seriousness of our sin. With this in mind, have you found this kind of restoration? This psalm teaches we must deal with our sinful actions. Now I want to pause here. This isn't in my notes, but I want to share this because you guys don't know me. I love people and I love restoration. So I, I know that what I just said sounded really harsh, but I want you to understand that, that I'm a guy that grew up in church. My earliest memories under the pew, I was a church brat. I grew up in church. I pastored a church. I'm just going to go ahead and say it here. I came to a place in my life that I was so hardened against sin. I could have a girl on my lap on Saturday night. I could be up in the club. I could be in a strip joint. I could be in all those places on Saturday night and preach from a pulpit on Sunday morning. I'm preaching from experience that God restores. I had to come to a place, though, where I realized that what I had done and what I was doing was hurting my God and hurting myself. David begins to find restoration through acknowledging the seriousness of his sin. He's, he's confessing his sinful actions. But secondly, restoration happens as we confront our twisted nature or our sinful nature. What would lead David to take another man's wife? And then commit murder. And cover it up. Was it temporary insanity? Had he lost his mind? David recognizes that there was something wrong inside of him. He saw the reality of his sinful nature. 
Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now that does not mean that in sin, his mom did something sinful and that's how he was born. It means that he came from the womb messed up. He's saying, God, I came from the womb messed up. I, I, I had this principle within me that, that is messing my life up. Verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. He's acknowledging he was born with a crooked heart and he had a new need for truth and wisdom within the core of his being. It's what theologians call the sinful nature, inherited depravity, original sin. David took another man's wife and committed murder because, he's saying, because something's wrong inside of me. He was born self-centered rather than God-centered. It's about what I want in the moment. And this self-centeredness led to all kinds of evil. David recognized his twisted nature and he recognized his need for cleansing. And this is where it begins to turn in Psalm 51. He says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The experts tell us that hyssop was used in three important ceremonies during David's time. It was used to sprinkle the blood on the offering during Passover to protect from the death angel. It was used in the cleansing of the debilitating disease of leprosy. It was used to in the cleansing ritual after touching a dead body. Do you notice all of the, 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 the commonality there in using hyssop in David's time? It had something to do with taking care of death in a person's life. So when David is saying, cleanse me with hyssop, what David is saying, God, I've acknowledged my sinful actions. I've acknowledged my twisted nature. God, I need your hyssop to apply the blood of the lamb to my life so that what is dead in me, what is corrupt in me, what is dying in me can somehow be restored through your presence. Cleanse me with hyssop. Maybe you've repented of your sins, maybe you've, you've seen the reality of your own sinful nature, do you see your need for cleansing? For the hyssop to apply the blood to those dead parts of your heart? Psalm 51 teaches us that we must deal with our sinful actions, that we must deal with our twisted nature, and finally, and this is where we try to land the plane this morning, restoration happens as we embrace the source of restoration. Now you remember at the beginning I said we lose our innocence by becoming acquainted with evil. This is how we're restored. We become acquainted with God through Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We lose our joy, we lose our innocence by becoming acquainted with evil. How do we embrace restoration? We become acquainted with God through Jesus Christ. David here is, is acknowledging the source of God's creative work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. The Bible teaches that anyone who's in, a, in Christ is a new creation. One which has been replaced by the new. 
Here, David is acknowledging the Old Testament anticipation of the New Testament doctrine of new birth. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. One commentator writes, O God, do more than forgive me, more than purify me, more than cleanse me. Create in me a new heart that I may truly serve you. Has God done His creative work in your life? Secondly, the source is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, he says, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I'll tell you something. I, I believe so many times we're blinded to this truth. We, we try to live on the experiences of last week or the experiences of yesterday, right? Ephesians 5 verse 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That, that passage really isn't so much about wine and beer and those type of things as much about control if someone's drunk with wine what happens they're controlled by the wine right it says don't be controlled by wine be controlled by the spirit it's about control be filled and by the way that is be continually filled and david's acknowledging hey if if i don't have that continual indwelling that presence of the holy spirit in my life i'm just going to end up in the same exact place again we need that continual indwelling of the Spirit. Has God made you new? Does God dwell in your heart? Are you trying to live on an experience of yesterday? Or, uh, you know, when I grew up, we tried to live from youth camp to youth camp, right? Well, if I can just make it to, to youth camp, then I'll be okay. David's recognizing I need God's new birth, I need the creative work in my life, I need his indwelling presence in my life. So as we land here today, here, here's, here's what I want to do. As we sing this song about the amazing presence of Jesus, if you have lost innocence in your life, if you want joy restored in your life, if you've become acquainted with evil, become acquainted with Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, our King. So as these guys sing, I'm, I'm just going to close it right there. Spend some time confessing your sin to God. Spend some time asking for restoration. I would love to pray with you. I know there's others here who would love to pray with you. I'm going to end with this. Verse 17 of Psalm 51. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Here's what I want you to know. God answered David's prayer in Psalm 51. Not because he jumped up through all the right hoops. Not because he prayed some magical formula prayer. But because he threw himself on the mercy and love of God. He didn't prove his own worthiness. But he was brutally honest. And completely broken before God. In my own life, whether it's past or whether it's, man, you know, there's areas I've been really selfish this week. Whether it's past or whether it's present, in my own life, that restoration comes as I stand before a holy God, which we're doing this morning, and I say, God, here I am. I'm going to be open, be honest, be vulnerable before you.
That's a scary thing to do. But I'm here to tell you that I know the joy of the Lord this morning. Not because I've been innocent myself, but because God has given me innocence through Jesus. I can sing, I can rejoice, I can share with no shame, because God has restored my life. I don't know what you're struggling with, what you've struggled with, what you've been through, what's been done to you, but I know this, that in the presence of Jesus, there's a safe place for you to come and to confess and to seek and to find. Let's seek Him this morning. Let's seek Him. As they sing, if you want to come and pray, please do. I don't know exactly what your custom is here, but let's seek His restoration. He loves you. He loves you. Father, we give you this closing time here. We don't know what you want to do in it or through it. Lord, if anyone here is hurting and they're afraid, give them the courage they need to just step into that pain and, and bring it to you. We're thankful we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Help us to run to you to find that grace and that mercy we need. In Jesus' name, amen.